You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. It's frustrating to see these people who are in leadership positions not willing to take a stand and not willing to stand up for what's right and what's good for the people that they're leading. And so, um, you know, and then I look at uh, kind of the state of the church in general, what we see this like decline over the last couple decades. And I think back to, um, you know, someone like John the Baptist who was strong as a leader and he was willing to call out unrighteousness and he lost his head for it. And even at that, he was willing to call out the king directly because he was doing unrighteousness, even at threat of death. Now you fast forward, and then another example that uh, in Acts, after all this persecution and Jesus himself is crucified, the worst death that you, you can have, the apostles now spread and Christianity is ignited and spreading across the world. And then you fast forward to today, and now you have the church declining, and no one's willing to stand up, even though we're at the highest level of comfort we've ever had, right? So... Um, you think back to the apostles, and I got to imagine they would think, boy, you know, we're doing the Lord's work, but it sure would be nice to have air conditioning uh, or running water or any of the copious blessings that we have today. Now we have those blessings, and now we're, we're not willing to stand up for anything. We've become castrated and, uh, and weak, and it is really frustrating to see at all these different levels. Um, so going, we'll go back to our verse here and then, uh, we'll keep going. So first Chronicles five, 24 through 26. So verse 24, it says, and these were the heads of the house of their fathers, even Ephor and Ishi and Eliel and Azrael and Jeremiah and Hodaviah and Jadiel, mighty men of valor, famous men and heads of the houses of their fathers. And they transgressed against the God of their fathers, and went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land, whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath-Pilnazar, king of Assyria. And he carried them away, even the Reubenites, and the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them unto Halah, and Habor, and Hera, and to the river Gozan unto this day. So, um, I feel like in, um, in here, he's listing out these leaders. He's calling them mighty men of valor, famous men, heads of the house. These are people who are supposed to take a stand, and they're supposed to uh, be there for their household and lead them through uh, their lives and have a direction that they're working toward. But they transgressed against the God of their fathers. Doesn't that sound familiar to today? Um, we have people who are put in place, leaders are put in place by God. That's They've been ordained and given that authority, but that doesn't mean that they're executing that authority righteously. And so, um, look at Saul, for example. He was put there. He was then taken from there because he was not in accordance with God's will anymore. So, to, I, what I see is a drought today in America, and it's a drought in leadership. And I wonder how long we can survive this drought. So, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity to speak tonight. Um, I'm honored to be up here, and I pray that your message is put forward, uh, that I'm not standing in the way, um, and that I can deliver it as you would have it. 
Um, I pray that it reaches soft hearts and, um, and that the message is communicated clearly. And I, I, uh, I thank you for the blessings that all of us have. And I pray for strength and uh, increase in faith and, um, and your guiding hand in all we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we're in a drought in the church and in America and in leadership in, in particular. Um, when we look at our church, and I'm thankful for our church we have here, and I've told Pastor this to his face, I've been in the military almost 15 years. He stands out and is, as an example of leadership out of all of that. And he is able to, he has a vision, he's established that. He gets everyone corralled and in accordance with that vision and all working together as a cohesive unit. It's what a leader does. And uh, a leader is not just wandering aimlessly as a figurehead over a group of people. So, we, but we look at the church as a whole, and we have people who uh, are sugarcoating every message that they give. The goal is to make people feel better. Um, we've, we've softened the message. We've taken out all the, the parts that we're not real comfortable with because we want to attract people to church. But what's the point of having people to church if they're not hearing the right words, right? So... Um, we look at our military, uh, how did, how did uh, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, how did that go? We had people losing lives because of decisions made. Now, I wasn't there for the decisions, there's probably things that they know that I don't, um, but at least from our perspective and what we've gotten from the public, uh, from the media and everything, it doesn't sound like it was that sound of a decision. Yet there's no accountability. And um, what I see a lot in, uh, in the workplace is that there's a desire to please your boss. There's not a desire to lead your people. And the whole reason you're in a position of leadership is to lead your people. And you are the filter that everything goes up through and down from. And what I see is there's an unwillingness to protect your people. And you're only, your only goal is to please your boss. And that's that's a recipe for a failed organization. And, um, and I see that over and over. And then we look at our country. Um, there's agendas being pushed on our kids. Uh, there's agendas being pushed in education, in the workplace. You look at something as simple as political correctness, um, I think that there are, you know, there's a twisting of definitions and a twisting of meanings here. Political correctness, there are times where it's appropriate to deliver your words with salt and softness. But there's also what this is, what I see that this has led to is it takes away dissent and it keeps people from being direct and, um, and bold with the truth. Um, because everyone's too worried about offending people. They're not willing to call out unrighteousness and say this is why it's wrong and, uh, and directly call it out. When I see people giving feedback or when I get feedback and I see people dancing around issues or something and like, well, yeah, I mean, you're doing good. Well, I mean, you could if you wanted, you know, maybe possibly you could maybe try do this a little different. And I'm like, just stop. Tell me. I'm a grown adult. Just tell me. Tell me boldly, directly. Let's get to the point and let's get things fixed and move on. And it just drives me crazy. When I see this over and over in every aspect of life right now, so um, we're lacking leaders. We're lacking um, 
boldness and, and courage in general. Um, God appoints leaders for a reason because we do need leaders. There, we we can't. We all have individual thoughts. We all have individual goals. We ha- all have indi- individual paths. Um, we have all we have all been made for a purpose by God. That's not all the same. Although we have one great commission, we have different um, uses and and uh, meanings for for us individually, um, and spiritual gifts, things like that. Um, but we need a leader because otherwise we're just wandering. We're all doing our own thing, and there's what's the point? We need someone that takes that vision and focuses it, right? Um, you, like a flashlight, you've got those lights that you twist the dial. You can turn one way, and it spreads the light out, and you can't, uh, can't really make out anything. But if you're wanting to see back at that wall, you turn the dial the other way, and it focuses that light right there. And I'm like, oh, it's a flower pot, right? Um, so God appoints leaders for, the reason, for a reason. We look at uh, Acts 8, 31 through 38. Um, we don't have to go there, but um, it's, it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. So Philip's going along, and he sees the Ethiopian here in his carriage, and he sees him reading a book, and the Holy Spirit says, go up to him. And he obeys the Holy Spirit, step number one, right? Um, and he goes up, and he says, what are you reading? And he says, uh, I'm reading from Isaiah. And he says, well, do you understand it? What do you think? And he goes, how can I except some, except some man should guide me? Because he needs someone to come and help him, to teach him, to lead him in what's right. So um, he does that, and then um, be pretty sweet to see and quite a uh, verification of what you just read, but he disappears. He's taken away. And it just it doesn't say uh, the Ethiopian was like, what just happened? And he's terrified or anything. It says he went on and he was joyful. He was happy because he now knew what, this, what Isaiah was saying because someone came and led him and told him what this means. So we hear a lot about iron sharpens iron. And, uh, and again, I'm thankful for this church because this church, I've said several times to several people, um, there were two things that... So my wife and I, we had tried 10 churches before coming to this church. And there were two things that hooked me in this church. One was when I first showed up, the authenticity of the people here uh, was legitimate. Uh, Other churches we would go, and it was kind of just like, hi, welcome, sign this. Hi, welcome, sign this. And that was it. Here it was like people were happy to see you, and you could feel that it was genuine, authentic. Um, And you're like, wow, this this is really cool. So then I come in, and I sit down, and I'm a a visitor. Pastor doesn't know me. Nobody knows me. And Haley happened on this particular time to be on a trip. And uh, so I came alone trying to find the church that we could stay at. And I sat over there right about where Charlie is, and uh, and pastor gets up. He preaches, and it's on abortion. And I was like, this is interesting because he knows I'm a visitor. He has no idea what I believe and he's going to preach abortion, I wonder how, how he holds back or how he says it or what. And he was, like I said, that frustration of dancing around the issue and sugarcoating, he wasn't. He was in love telling directly, this is what the Bible says, and this is why it's wrong. This is, uh, this is what you should do. I understand if, if you have done this, God forgives. But the, the fact of the matter is truth is truth, and right is right and wrong is wrong. 
this is right, this is wrong. And he, he spoke it directly. And I was like, well, all right, I'm sold. Because the pastor was courageous and bold to, to talk on a subject that is touchy, but the church is the authority to talk on that subject. So, and he, so those two things got me um, at this church. So, um, and again, it's that leadership uh, in, in coming along uh, the believer. So, again, I'm thankful for this church and the believers here, uh, people who are genuinely looking to grow and to uh, improve and grow closer to God and know the Bible. And it truly here, iron sharpens iron. And, um, but what I see a lot is the point of the church is to equip the saints to do the Great Commission. Iron sharpens iron. What good does a sharp implement tool do, no matter how good it looks or how sharp it is, if it's just left on the mantle? At that point, it's just art. It's not a tool, right? And the point of being sharpened is so that we can go and use that tool to accomplish the Great Commission and to bring people to God, lead them in that way. Um, but what I see is people are using it for art all over uh, the country. And um, one thing I'm, so I've deployed now, going on five times here in the last four years that we've been here. And um, one of the blessings, maybe few blessings out of being deployed, um, is that you kind of have a captive audience um, because it's just, you and three or four other guys. And after the mission's done for the day, you go back to the dorms or whatever type of housing arrangement you have for that particular deployment. And you all sit around and watch TV and talk about how the mission go and what you learn. And, uh, and then eventually it molds into uh, investments and then it molds into uh, leadership and it molds into religion. And that's where I love it because, um, you know, for some reason, it seems like it's always Catholics that I'm deployed with, but, um, but they, Catholicism doesn't push a lot of the individual believer knowing the Bible. It's kind of just, I'll tell you what to believe, and then you take that on. And so when you talk Bible, a lot of times, not always, there are, I have had some that are very knowledgeable, but a lot of times if you talk specifics in the Bible, they're like, oh, I, I didn't know it said that, or because they don't, they don't necessarily read the Bible, they get all of their learning and teaching from Mass. Um, so it motivates me to be sharpened here and to stay in my Bible because I need to be equipped to, be, to use that tool in those situations at any time, whether it's deployed or whether it's passing someone in line at Walmart, whatever. If that conversation comes up, I need to be prepared to be able to defend the faith um, to be able to relay the faith and, um, and relay it rightly and in truth. So, uh, and, and that's, that's just for deployments. Then you have a whole nother level of conviction when you have children and you're in charge of leading them and getting them started on the right path and setting their foundation because you have a lifelong impact right there as you might whenever you're having that conversation with someone on the deployment. So. Um, you, you got to sharpen that tool, but you also have to use that tool. So, um, leaders have a unique responsibility, um, because 
they are not only in charge of themselves, like we all are. If we look in Hebrews 13, 17, uh, we'll turn there real quick. Hebrews 13, 17. So it says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. So we are to obey our rulers, but we're not to do that at the um, uh, expense of disobeying God, right? So there is a, a priority. And then it goes on to say, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So leaders who have rule over you are to watch out for your souls. They're to watch for your souls. And they will give account um, of what they do. So um, they, you are accountable for the leadership that you provide, right? However, we all are called to be leaders because we all have the truth of Jesus and we are all to lead people to Jesus. So we all are leaders and we all will give account for what we have or haven't done. Um, so, and the point of leading is not for personal gain. It's not for personal glory or anything like that. The point, uh, is that you're watching for souls and you are growing the kingdom of God. So, um, you're giving account. I would hate to go and for me to be asked, um, tell me about when you led this group or this person or anything here. Um, and I said, well, um, I got this and this award, and I got promoted faster than anyone else got promoted, and, um, and then I also got a pay raise with a bonus that was more than anyone else had gotten because I was leading so well. And he's like, great. How did your people do? Because it has nothing to do with you or your gain. It has to do with the people that you're leading. And that's the focus that is missing in all that I'm seeing in leadership today in every facet of life. And um, so if with accountability, we're held accountable, that is everyone is held accountable. We look at Moses in the misstep at the rock where God's, the uh, Israelites are complaining that they're thirsty, uh, as they tend to do. And um, Moses prays to provide for them because he's concerned with their well-being. And God says, speak to the rock, and it'll pour forth water. And Moses goes forward, and he is angry. And, and I just imagine the situation. It, maybe it was just out of just frustration. And he just, he hit the rock twice, and then it poured forth water. So his people were uh, given water to drink. But he hit the rock twice. He didn't speak as God told him to. So now he, he's almost taking a little bit maybe unknowingly, of the credit because his action, he's doing an action to cause the water to come forth rather than speaking to the rock, and it's God's glory that's bringing forth the water. So, but because of that, um, and, you know, maybe there's a little bit more, but because of that, he is now not allowed to enter into the promised land because he's held accountable for the missteps that he has. And I can't imagine being in the place of Moses and not only when he first hears that, okay, now you shall not step foot into the promised land, and he's thinking, oh, 
why did I do that? But then from then on, until he's at the mountaintop at his death site, um, just the regret I feel like he had to have had. And after all he did with approaching Pharaoh and leading the people out, guiding them all the way through the Red Sea, the 40 years, and all of this, all of this stuff, and after all of that, he can't enter into the promised land. That seems horrible, but that's the accountability that leaders have um, and that we will all have and we all have to answer for when, when our time comes. Um, so we go back to our main text here, First uh, Chronicles 5.24, and these were the heads of the house, just to emphasize a couple of things, heads of the house of their fathers. And then, imagine being in this list of names. It's one to be in the Hall of Faith. It's one to be in, uh, another one to be in this list. These people are all named, um, they're all called out by name. And it says they were mighty men of valor, so they've probably done good things in their past um, to earn that reputation. They're famous men, same thing. And, and then he reiterates their heads of the house of their fathers. But they were put in that position. They um, probably had past victories, um, have probably done great things, but then they transgressed against the God, uh, against the God of their fathers, and they pursued other gods of other lands. So they were held accountable. God destroyed, uh, uh, the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pol, king of Assyria, and spirit of Tilgath Penelzer, king, uh, king of Assyria, and he carried them away, and it talks about all of them. So because of the failure of the leaders, the people suffered and were carried away into uh, captivity. So then we go to the other end of the spectrum, and we look at um, some not necessarily good uh, other end of the spectrum because Moses was a good leader. But uh, from these guys, we go to Abraham. Uh, in Genesis 18, 19. Turn there real quick. Genesis 18, 19. So it's talking about Abraham. And uh, it says 18, 19. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So God is saying, I know Abraham, and I know he will lead rightly his household, and I will reward him for that. Accountability goes both ways, right? Um, so that's what I hope my uh, giving an account of my leadership sounds like, that I commanded my children and my household after him, and I kept the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that, and the Lord may bring um, upon me that which he has spoken, everlasting life, right? So um, Abraham here, he's put in this position because of his leadership, and God knows that he will lead righteously. Um, and women, it calls out specifically too, in Titus 2, 3 through 5, um, it talks about the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given much wine, uh, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may, not, may be not blasphemed. So I would say what this implies is that the aged women, when they were younger women, were led and taught by their aged women. And so, because one generation led another, 
they knew the ways of righteousness to do this list, and then they taught the next generation for the young women to be all these things, in particular, keepers at the home, leaders in the home. So, um, so we are all called to lead. It doesn't matter what position you're in. Um, and uh, let's see, lost my spot here. Yeah, so we're all called to lead. Uh, male, female, it doesn't matter. We are leaders because we're all one in Christ. Um, I've heard a quote, and you've probably heard this before, kind of weird. I looked this up, and it's really only speculation on the actual author of this quote, but uh, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And that is what I see happening a lot, is that good men are doing nothing because you're too worried, not you, but we are too worried about uh, stepping on toes, being called bigots, being called closed-minded, that we are uh, scared or unwilling to say truth, and um, and we're willing to accept false, uh, not truth. So, um, but the again, how many times in the Bible do we see that the failure of the leader leads to the destruction of the fo- uh, the followers? So, what track are we on right now when our leaders are being silenced? Um, now, so we should lead. That's great. Now, what is a good leader? When I, when I thought about this, I was like, you know what, I, how many books have been written and how many courses have been given and how many times in, um, for me in our military classes do they say, write down four words of what makes a good leader and, and about 10 of them are repeated 23 times for everybody in the audience, right? Because everyone can call out characteristics of a leader, but it's hard to be the leader. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and claim that I have the answer. This is how you be a leader. Here's how you execute step one, two, three. But like I said, it's easy to know a good leader when you see it. So if we look to the Bible, who is the ultimate leader? I would say probably Jesus, Bible school answer, Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Um, the thing is, is, I feel like he has a little bit of an advantage of us on us because he's got the whole fully God part, right? So, um, so he's got a, a, maybe a, an extra little bit of oomph in the leadership department. Um, however, like I, we were talking about Moses, I think that Moses is a good example of leadership. Um, you think about, well, I think about when I was a flight commander, I had only like 20 people uh, under that I was in control of or in, in charge of uh, for that time. And what going into the job, my goal and what my focus was is execution. I need to, um, this was in pilot training as a flight commander, so I needed to fill the schedule. I needed to manage the student syllabus um, events all through to make sure they stay on the timeline. Uh, I needed to make sure that they were getting the training they needed. I needed to help those who were struggling. Um, and I needed to make sure that they were prepared to go into the real Air Force and fly a mission to where flying the plane is like you get in and drive a car somewhere, you don't even think about it. That's what flying the plane should be so that you focus on employing the plane and doing the mission and dropping bombs because the flying needs to be, that's just subconscious. You need to focus on the mission and what you're doing with that aircraft. So that's what I went in planning to do. Not not to say that doesn't have to be done because that also has to be done. But 
the biggest epiphany I had uh, as a flight commander was the amount of personal issues that came to me. It felt like my job was, it was like hanging on by a thread just trying to make, make the syllabus and all that stuff happen. The bulk of my job was dealing with personal issues of each individual person. And it's not necessarily that everyone's so needy, but the more people you have, if you have just one person per day have an issue, and say you have 300 people, you're pretty much every day you've got a new issue on your plate because you're the leader of those 300 people. And so when all of that condenses into one person, it can become overwhelming. And, and that's what we see when Jethro recommended that, um, that Moses appoint judges because he's like, it's too much for one person to handle this when you've got thousands of Israelites going through the wilderness and, and doing this. So um, I just imagine Moses especially up to that point, trusting God, but also seeing the obstacles ahead of him and thinking, all right, here we go. And then all the meanwhile, you've got the Israelites constantly complaining, regardless of how many miracles are done on the way, they parted the Red Sea, they walked through like this hall, water on each side, dry land, and it waited until they were across, and then it said, okay, now we'll, we'll go ahead and crash down. And yet they still said, why did God lead us here to starve and die of thirst? Like, what? I should have been in Egypt, even after what they just saw, right? So, um, and that's not to say that we wouldn't be in the same boat at all either. But um, you've got Moses leading all these people through all these issues. I can imagine that would be overwhelming. Um, but we look through, so we'll kind of step through with Moses a little bit and a couple just, just big events through Exodus. So one thing that stood out to me with Moses is, like we talked about earlier, he was bold and he was courageous as a leader. Um, imagine, put yourself in his position, so after reluctantly accepting the mission that he's given by God, um, he goes and he's to go tell Pharaoh, hey, I want all the Israelites to go worship in the, in the wilderness. Imagine him thinking, okay, before that first uh, visit, He's going to walk in, him and Aaron, to the Pharaoh's court, and he's going to ask to take all of their labor force away. And not knowing, is Pharaoh going to be offended and just kill me right there? Or uh, what consequences are going to await him? And, but he does it. And so regardless of his hesitation, he is empowered by God, and he goes boldly into the court, and he says, this is what I want. I, w I want all of us to go and worship. Um, and then he's steady. I can't think of a better example of a steady leader than when you're leading everyone through the, through the uh, desert, and all of a sudden you realize Pharaoh and his army is right behind you, and you're butted up against a sea. And so you have no place to go. Um, but he's, he's, uh, he's blocked by the sea. And actually, let's turn there. Exodus 14, 12 through 13. Exodus 14. I just think, I think this is pretty cool. And this right here, if I saw this up close as an Israelite, I would be sold on Moses' leadership. Um, so Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Or sorry, uh, Exodus 14, 12 through 13. So, um, is not this the word 
that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should, than that we should die in the wilderness. And this is, they're backed up against the Red Sea right now, and the Pharaoh's coming. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you to, uh, he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Can you imagine the fear that you have as an Israelite saying, why did he bring us out here to die? I wish we were in Egypt. This was a terrible idea. Why did you do that? And he's like, stand steady. We, you will see what the Lord will do. Stand, uh, calm down. Uh, fear not. Stand still. And just solid, steady. And he's like, no, chill out. Watch what the Lord does. And uh, I just think, I, I just can imagine all of a sudden the people are just kind of taken back, like, oh, y- yes, sir, okay. Uh, and, then, and then they go. I just think that's such an awesome reaction. And then we see that God tells them to hold up the staff, hold his hand over the water, and then just another awesome thing to see. That would be great. Um, so we need to figure out that time machine thing. So um, Moses is protective. So he, he uh, is... Trying to, pro- he wants to provide for the people. He goes to God and he asks for provision every time that they're complaining. He asks for, uh, and he and he gets the bitter waters turn sweet. He gets manna. He gets quail. He gets um, water from the rock, and he's constantly looking to provide for the people. And he's going to the person who can give that sustenance, and that's God. Um, he enforces discipline. So. This is another one where it's like, man, that's pretty heavy-handed, but it's, I don't know, I, I, think, I think it's the right, I mean, it is the right thing to do because of what we see here. Calves, uh, the calves in the wilderness. Um, so I was going to read this whole thing, but it's long. Exodus 32, 1 through 35, read that again, because uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy interaction, I think, at, through this whole thing. But um, to summarize, he's up on the mount. He's getting the tablets from God. And uh, the Israelites are saying, he's been gone too long. We're, we're all scared. We want uh, idols that we can worship and sacrifice to now. And Aaron, I, I, ju- I just think it's funny to think of the people in real life and put yourself in that situation. And he's like, these people are they're going to mutiny here soon. I got to do something. And he's like, okay, give me the gold. Give me all your gold. And then he forms it into a calf. Big no-no, right? He's got his brother is up here talking to God right now, and he's going to form a golden calf for them to worship. Uh, It doesn't make sense in hindsight for sure. Um, But we see that God says, all right, that's it. I'm wiping him out. And Moses intercedes again because he's worried about his people. And he is a leader who's stepping in to to be that mediator, and he prays for God to relent. And God says, okay, I'll stay. He goes down, and he sees what's happening. In his anger, he drops the tablets that God has just given him. They break. And he says, what is going on, Aaron? And then uh, Aaron starts giving excuses. And he's like, well, they were going to mutiny, and, you know, I was worried, and I had to do something. And he's like, no. And so he takes the calves. He burns them. He grinds them into powder. He, puts them, he pours them over the water, and he makes Israel drink of the the dead idols that they were just worshiping. That alone is holding people accountable 
and setting the tone as a leader of an organization, right, of the Israelites. But then he goes even farther, and this is where it's like, man, that's heavy-handed, but it is in accordance with what, uh, what was done here. He imposes capital punishment on those who um, were violating the, um, the law, and they were worshiping these false idols. And exactly, they're being held, held accountable. And um, uh, how do you think that sets the tone from there on with the Israelites for, uh, for a time at least, as we see they fall away? But um, so he's, he's setting that strong foundation and he is, he is funneling people into one direction, one vision, because otherwise people are left to make up their own idols and worship what they, want, they say is true and what they want. So... So through, those are just a few examples of, that I think stand out as Moses' strong leadership. So we see how that all ended, but how did it start? It obviously started with um, a large conglomeration of people who uh, had a lot of money and power already given to them, and then they moved in, and then they had a very uh, focused effort to try to convince the people to do right, right? That's kind of how it went? Not quite. It was two guys, and originally it was one guy that was meant to cause all of this to happen. And then he was like, ah, but I, all these excuses, I can't talk. And he's like, okay, fine, you have Aaron. All right, so it's Moses and Aaron, and this whole setting a nation free from a, uh, an, an empire, the Egyptian empire, they, that was started with one person. So the fact that we are constantly pushed down because what can one person do it doesn't hold water. How many times do, um, uh, do we see in history that one leader or one person or a small group of people change the entire world for, forever, right? We see, uh, first and foremost, Jesus himself, how that changed the entire direction of the world and Christianity, it developed Christianity. Uh, the apostles, small group of people, scattered after the crucifixion and now uh, Christianity took fire over the whole world and now we are in church because a small group of people in Israel thousands of years ago did that um, we look at Paul he's one man what kind of impact did he have on the gospel right uh, and then we look at the founding fathers and uh, we would not have had America had a small group of men not been willing to take a stand against what they felt was wrong, uh, wrong and uh, to separate from the British. And because of the movement of that small group of people, it grew into the greatest power, the greatest nation that the world has ever seen. So um, we constantly see these great things are done through small groups of people or individual people. So don't let anyone tell you that you, need, that you can't do anything because you're just one man, one woman, uh, you have no effect, you have no importance, because it's not you, it's God who empowers, and it's God who leads that outcome. So, um, so what does it really come down to? Um, I, I say that a true leader really boils down to is a servant, because the leader should have no um, investment in self. It should only be other than to improve themselves to help their people that they're leading, um, it should all be focused on what can I do better to better lead these people that you're in charge of. Um, and just as 
we can't just know our Bible. We have to apply it. We can't just know that we should be leaders or maybe what leaders are or what a good leader is. We have to apply that. Um, and we need leaders today. I'm sick of this, um, you know, one of the things that's been pushed a lot is tolerance. And again, a lot of times things start out as good things because um, we want to be tolerant of people, but we don't want to tolerate sin and we don't want to tolerate unrighteousness. We want to stand for truth and we want to stand for righteousness. And through tolerance, it has muted a lot of people because they're willing to be muted because they're worried about how they look to people. But we answer to God. We don't answer to people. So, um, and why, why do we see a, such a, a lack of strong leaders? It's because we, so many people have a lack of foundation. If you don't have a starting point from which to start and a, a common core of beliefs to then uh, spring off of, then you're free to make up whatever you want and make up whatever is right. And that's where we get, it's your truth, it's my truth. Um, well, that might be right for you, but this is right for me because we're not rooted in that common foundation of truth, which is given to us here. So the only way we can have leaders is if we have somewhere that we're going. If we don't have somewhere we're going, there's nowhere to lead to, there's no need for leaders. So where are we going? We're going to eternity. We're going for the Great Commission to lead people to that. So um, we need leaders who are rooted in the Bible, rooted in, in Jesus, because that is the ultimate unchanging truth that no one can make up because it's spelled out for us what it is. Now we have something to have a foundation in. Now we have a conviction because when we see something, it's judged against what we read in here. Now we can boldly say, this is wrong, not because I made up that this is wrong, because the Bible, the creator of everything in the world who spoke everything into existence, says that that is wrong. And we all are given a conscience and the law is written in our hearts. Everyone knows it's wrong whether they mute that or want to believe something else. It either is right or it is wrong, and we know that this is right. So we need to stand for that, and the only way we can do that and have leaders that do that is if they are rooted here. Um, so it's that lack of foundation. Where does the foundation come from? From church. The church needs to step up. We need to lead people. We need to grow people. Um, and I'm thankful that this church is doing it. Um, if we go to John 4, 13 through 14, John 4, I'm closing up. John 4, 13 through 14. So it says in verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. And this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in, in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So we have a drought in leadership. What ends a drought? It's water, right? And we have the water that will be a well springing up into everlasting life. We have an uh, everlasting living water that's given to us through Jesus. The way to end this drought 
is through Jesus because of all the things that we've said and to bring people to Jesus to create more leaders, accomplishing the Great Commission, and working for eternity. So Jesus is that everlasting water. That's how we end this drought. But going back to the beginning, for yourselves, are you going to use the sharpened iron that you get from church and from your fellow believers? Are you going to use that to lead people to Christ and combat evil? Um, or are you going to let it rust in the corner or just be a showpiece on your mantle? So how long can we survive this drought? I hope that we're not in a drought for much longer. So, Dear God, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to speak here tonight. Um, I pray that your word comes through. I pray that it touches people's hearts and that, uh, that you will work in their hearts to continue and uh, maybe that a seed is planted that you can grow into something great. I pray that we all step up and be leaders for you and um, leaders for the church. And I pray that we're not, we're not silenced and muted by uh, the world and know that we have the truth and that we are going to boldly proclaim that um, when just as those who ha are speaking falsities are boldly proclaiming, we need to boldly uh, combat that. So God, thank you for the blessings and uh, letting us gather here tonight. Uh, let us uh, keep us safe as we go through the week and, uh, and bring us back here on Sunday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc4me.org. May God bless you.